And it's rising up from all around. It's this uprising of worship and praise to our great God. We're going to wrap up our series entitled Uprising, the Origins of the Early Church, the beginning of the revolution. And over the last few weeks, we've learned that the church is not an institution. It's not this uh, list of rules and regulations. It's not even a worship service. It's this movement of worship and praise. It's this revolution. It's this uprising of our souls. And over the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Acts, and our theme verse for this series is found in Acts 1-8, where Jesus, just before he ascends to heaven, after he died and rose from the grave, he said these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, that place you don't even like, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they did. These early followers of Jesus joined in this revolution with great power and presence, and they went out with great boldness to declare that Jesus is alive, that he is the Messiah. And we are here today in this gathering as a church because they obeyed this command to go out and share the good news. And for the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Acts. In week one, we talked about opening day. If you remember all the way back to opening day, when the Holy Spirit came down on all the believers... And, and Peter preached his first sermon, and thousands of people came to faith in Christ. And then there was this short, brief persecution where the first followers, the first leaders were in jail. And they prayed this prayer. They didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for provision. They prayed for the very thing that got them into jail, boldness. They prayed for great boldness. And, they, and then they went out in, lived lives of boldness. And then a stronger persecution broke out. And the most unlikely candidate, a persecutor of the church, a violent man came to faith in Jesus. The apostle Paul saw the light, he heard the voice, and he responded to following Jesus. And we learned about the man and the message, this gospel, good news message. And then we saw the first conflict in the first church because there were Jews that believed that the Gentiles needed to become Jewish before they could become Christian. And there's almost this church split in the early church. And then the leaders rose up and they said, hey, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to faith. God is doing a great work. Let's be inconvenienced for the gospel so that other people might hear the message of Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about life in the Spirit. That, that Jesus just didn't promise eternal life. He promised us a better life. A life full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no need for law because there's this internal power to live a life of love and joy and peace and self-control. There's this revolution of our souls to set us free to be the people that we all want to be. See, the church, we are not a building. We're not an institution, we're not a list of rules and rituals. We are this movement, this uprising, this revolution of our souls. And this morning, we're going to wrap up our series. This morning, we're going to wrap up our series with the vision of Christ. So over the last few weeks, we've been focused on the, the Holy Spirit. We've been focused on the work of the church. And it only seems appropriate to end our study of the book of Acts by celebrating an often overlooked event in the life of Christ. See, for most of us, we celebrate the big three events for the life of Jesus. We celebrate Christmas, right? The incarnation. When Jesus was born in a barn, 
right? And then, and then we celebrate the atonement, Good Friday, where Jesus died in our place. And then we celebrate Resurrection Sunday when he rose from the grave. But the book of Acts says there's one more thing we're celebrating. There's one more thing we're celebrating. See, something happened 40 days after Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And although we talked about it briefly a few weeks ago, most of us overlook this powerful event in the life of Jesus. I mean, most of us did not send ascension cards on May 17th, did we? I mean, we sent our Christmas cards. I mean, most of us sent our Easter cards. But we did not take time to view the beauty and the majesty and the power of the ascension. And it only seems appropriate as we conclude our time in the book of Acts to look at this monumental event in the life of Jesus. Because most of us, if not all of us, overlook this powerful event in the life of Christ. And you know what? We're not the only ones. The early church followers also misread the ascension. They didn't understand the power and beauty of the ascended Christ. They didn't understand God's reign and rule over the earth. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn back again to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, page 1077 in your pew Bibles. Then we're going to jump to Ephesians 1 to get this accurate picture of the ascended Christ, to have an accurate vision of the ascended Christ. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus already died on the cross and rose from the grave. He already spent 40 days talking with the apostles and the disciples about his kingdom and his reign. And he promised them the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we read this. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to bring your reign and rule over Israel? Are you going to defeat those Romans and kick them out of our land? And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. See, Jesus responds to their question by saying, I'm not going to bring my kingdom now. You are. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. You will go to, go to Judea and Samaria, the place you don't even like, and the ends of the earth, and you will bear witness that I am the Messiah. You'll build bridges of trust that can bear the weight of truth. You will go as missionaries. And after Jesus declares this powerful command to his disciples, he ascends. He's taken up into heaven. Verse 9, we read this. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And in a cloud hid from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Now, I don't know what what comes to your mind when you picture this scene, but I picture a, a friend of mine that would go down to... Uh, downtown Minneapolis with his buddies. And, and he, right around the IDS Tower, he would stand, and he would look up in the sky, and he'd point to the sky, and he and his buddies would point to the sky. And you know there's nothing up there, right? I don't know if you've ever done this before, you know, in a crowd. Just kind of point to the sky to see how many people you can get to look up, up at the sky. But that's the picture that I get. I mean, they're all, they're all just looking. You know, what's going to happen? When's he going to back? But there's nothing going to happen. He's ascended. There's nothing to look at. 
What are you looking at? So these angels come up to, Jesus, uh, come up to the disciples. Verse 10, he says, And suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. He says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand up there looking at the sky? What are you looking at? What are you hoping to see? Why are you intently looking at the sky? He's not there. The angels continued. The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. See, the disciples wanted Jesus to stay. They thought that Jesus was leaving them and never coming back. They saw the ascension as a loss, not a gain. They thought the ascension was the absence of Christ's presence rather than the expansion of his presence. And the angels rebuked the disciples. He says, what are you looking at? Why are you standing there looking at the sky? There's nothing to see. Can you imagine if the disciples actually got what they wanted? I mean, can you imagine just for a moment if the ascension never happened? I mean, if Jesus only lived the life that we couldn't live, a perfect life, although that's awesome. I mean, if Jesus only died on the cross for our place, if Jesus only rose from the grave, if there was no ascension, Jesus would still be here on earth in his resurrected body. He would still be here in one time, at one time and in one place. He'd be in a specific location in his resurrected body, but he doesn't stay in one place. He ascends into heaven. He took his place on the throne at the right hand of God. He's no longer limited to one time in one space. He's available to everyone. See, that's the power of the ascension. Jesus is on the throne. That's what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays his prayer to all the believers. He says, I hope that you can see the power of the ascension. I hope that you can see the resurrection and the power of the ascension. In in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And most of us stop right there when we think about the power of God. Most of us stop right there with the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. But there's more. There's more worth celebrating. He continues. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He exerted in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand hand of God in the heavenly realms, right where the prime minister sits, right where the decision maker sits, right where verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. See, Jesus is on the throne right now with all authority with all power, with all dominion, in this life and in the life to come, Jesus is on the throne ruling the universe. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the throne of England. It's been around for about eight centuries. 
And it's a beautiful ornate throne. It's called the coronation chair, and it sits in Westminster Abbey. And if you go as a tourist, you can see the throne of England. You can go there. And, and if you go there and you happen to see the, the throne of England and you're, you're sitting there kind of on the ground looking up at it, you say, wow, that thing is beautiful. That thing is great. And if you happen to get around the guards and, and, and walk up and ascend to the throne, you can sit on that throne. And you know what would happen if you didn't get arrested? Nothing. Nothing would happen. Because you're just a guy, you're just a gal. You have no royalty in you. You're not even British, right? But if you're the son of the king, and on that special day, you ascend up these stairs and you sit on the throne, all power, all dominion over that kingdom becomes yours and everything changes. Your relationship with the people of England has changed. You're the king. Now they're your subjects. Your relationship with all the nations of the world changed because you're the king of England. And that's what Jesus did. He ascended onto the throne. He took his place at the right hand of God. And it wasn't just reigning over England. It was over the entire universe. All power, all dominion, all titles for all of time are now yours because you've ascended on your throne that's the vision that's the power of the ascension that's what happened this day 40 days after jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave he ascended in heaven and in verse 22 it continues and god placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything god placed everything under his feet. He's now appointed head over everything. After the incarnation, after the atonement, after the resurrection, Jesus now sits on the throne with all power, all dominion, all authority. And why? Why did God do all this? Why did God ascend and uh, raise Jesus from the dead and place him on the throne? Why did God give Jesus all this power? Well, it continues right here, verse 22. He did all this for the church. Why did he do all this? For the church. Not the building. Not the worship service. Not the list of rules and rituals, but for us. For you, for me, for this movement that we can participate in. Jesus did all this for us, for you, for me, for his church. The ascension is not the absence of Christ's presence. It's the expansion of it. It's not the absence of Christ's leadership. It's the manifestation of his leadership because now he rules over the entire universe, and he does it for you and for me and for us. He's interceding on our behalf. That's what it says in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Hebrews. He's working all things together for our good. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8. And the reason why Jesus can work all things together for our good is because he's ascended on the throne. It's because he has all power, all authority, all, all dominion. He can work all the details in your life for our good. That's the vision 
and the power of the ascension. Jesus is on the throne. He's interceding on our behalf. He's working all things together for our good. He's got all power, all authority, all dominion. He's on the throne. I don't know if you remember the vision that Stephen had just before he was stoned to death. He was the first martyr in Acts chapter 7. We talked about his story briefly. If you remember, Paul, the, the, the great persecutor of the church, was a coat rack at Stephen's stoning. And, 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 then, and then all these people came around and they, they accused Stephen and they you know, accosted him and they, they ridiculed him and, and they, they stoned him for blasphemy. And, and just before Stephen dies... He has a vision of Jesus. And it's not of the incarnation. It's not of the atonement. It's not of the resurrection. He has a vision of the ascended Christ, and that gave him power in the midst of the persecution. This is what we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of the voices. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. But he saw heaven opened up. He ascended Jesus at the right hand of God. And this vision of Jesus gave him power and strength in the midst of his death. And did you notice Jesus was just not just sitting at the right hand of God? What's he doing? He's standing. He's interceding on behalf of Stephen. He says, this one's mine. I died for him. He belongs for me. I'm interceding on him. I'm on the throne and he's coming to me. See, that's the power of the ascension. In the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our struggles, Jesus says, you're mine. You belong to me. I'm interceding for you. I'm standing up on your behalf. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm working all things together for your good because I'm on the throne. And I have the power and I have the authority to do that for you. That's the power. That's the vision of the ascended Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard this quote before. I've repeated it a few times here in our worship gatherings, but A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying this. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's really a phenomenal statement. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And when it comes to Jesus, don't just think about the incarnation, although that is beautiful. Don't just think about the atonement, although he paid our price. Don't just think about the resurrection, although he died on the cross and rose from the grave. Think about the ascension. Think about Jesus sitting on the throne, interceding on your behalf, working all things together for your good because he's got the power and authority and dominion to do just that for you. That's the power. That's the vision of the ascension. See, the world says, stone him. You deserve to die. You're ugly. You're no good. You got no place in the world. Get rid of him. The world says you're worthless. The ascended Christ says, you belong to me. I'm standing up for you. I'm interceding on your behalf. I'm working all things together for your good. It may not feel like it right now, but I'm on the throne. 
Don't let the stones of this world define your identity or determine your destiny because I'm on the throne. That's the power of the ascension. The world says this world is all you have, right? Consume as much as you can. You know, if the shoe fits, steal it. Just, just get it all for you now. The ascended Christ says, don't live for the day. Live for this next world to come. Because I'm on the throne. I'm building my kingdom. I'm renewing all of creation. So give yourself uh, for the sake of others. Care for the needs of the poor. Manifest my kingdom on earth. You know, for the last seven months, we've been doing this Do Something campaign. Craig mentioned it earlier during announcements that this movement of our hearts to participate in ending poverty. And many of you have participated in giving up something good to participate in something great. And early on in our campaign, one student caught a vision of the ascended Christ ruling over creation. Now, she wouldn't describe it this way. She's only in fifth grade. But that's what she saw. She saw the ascended Christ ruling over creation. And that motivated her to participate and do something. She wrote a paper in in her public school. She's in fifth grade. She wrote a paper in, in her school. And this is what she said in her introduction. It says it right here. She says, at church, when I was looking through the papers, I saw the date for when do something was to end, which is today. And the do something first is all about poverty. And that's how I got my idea for my essay on poverty. I noticed that they would stop trying to end, they 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 wouldn't stop trying to help end poverty till the thirsty have fresh water, the hungry are fed, the homeless have homes, and the naked have clothes. She goes on to write, I think we should try really hard to help end poverty. There are many ways to help end poverty. Poverty can be very hard on many people. I've seen a movie called Live 58, and there was a quarry in India. And it was really hard to watch because it was so sad. It was so sad seeing people living in poverty. I'm told that Samantha even cried as she saw that movie, Samantha Sandro. She's the one that wrote this paper. But that pain of poverty didn't paralyze her because she had a vision. She had a vision of the ascended Christ ruling over all of creation, a vision where there were thirsty would have fresh water, where the hungry are fed, where the homeless have homes, where the naked are clothed, and that moved her to participate and do something. And if she was here today, she'd tell you that, yeah, I participated and do something. I saved my money. I contributed my money. Now, I'm only in fifth grade. I didn't have that much to give, but I gave up something good to participate in something great. And many of you have too. Many of you here today have given up something good to participate in something great. You've, you've biked to work instead of driven your car to save money. You've, you've gone out, you've gone, done away with soda pop or coffee, or you've, you've taken your loose change to make a change in the world. And I'm so thankful for the movement of God inside of our hearts to do something for the sake of others, to participate in God's reign and rule in the earth. And our goal by this day was to, was, was to raise about $25,000. That was our goal. But as a result of all that you've given and others, 
we have now a dollar amount to give to end poverty that is $40,000. That's what you gave. You gave $40,000. And the leadership team, if you remember, was going to match it if we raised twenty-five, another twenty-five. But now we're going to we're going to match that forty to eighty, and we're going to add another twenty. So we're going to have a hundred thousand dollars to give to end street. And it's not just because people need clothes on their back or, or food to eat. It's because of the vision. The vision of Christ seated on the throne, making all things new. See, poverty has no place in God's kingdom. Spiritual and material poverty has no place in God's kingdom. Jesus is making all things new. He's preparing a place for us. It's at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Well, there'll be no more tears, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. There'll be plenty of food to eat for everybody. Choice meats, fine wines, and it's our vision of Christ and his kingdom that fuels our work in this world. What comes to your mind when you think about God really is the most important thing about you. And when you think about Jesus, don't just limit yourself to the big three. Don't just see the incarnation. Don't just see the atonement. As important as that is, don't just see the resurrection. See the risen Christ seated on the throne, interceding on your behalf, at times standing up on your behalf, saying, this one is mine. I am working all things together for good, and I am building my kingdom, and I am ending poverty. And I am bringing good news to the poor. And whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, Jesus says, you do for me. And when we do things like that, we manifest Christ's kingdom on earth. Jesus ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God with all power and authority. And he's restoring all things together for us, for his church. And we're part of that. We're his church. May our vision of Christ move us to live lives consistent with his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your presence in our lives. Because you ascended into heaven, you are not limited by time and space. You are present everywhere, ruling over the universe. And we thank you this morning for your reign in our lives, working all things together for our good, and your reign in the universe. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would do a work in us, because I know many people here this morning, like, I don't know how God's working this together for my good. I, I don't sense God's presence in my lives. I just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would remind those that are struggling to see you as you really are, working all things together for good. And God, I thank you that we get to participate in your kingdom. We get to manifest your kingdom on earth by caring for those that are hurting and hungry, by declaring the good news to those that are lost. And we just ask that you would stretch our vision of who you are in your kingdom on earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.